So I think it can be much more difficult for nurses to feel comfortable saying no to other people because they don't want to upset anyone. They're, you know, they're interested in keeping people happy and, and, and caring for them to the best of their ability. So saying no and cl setting clear boundaries doesn't come naturally. What are seven key principles that can guide healthcare professionals in enhancing self-care and preventing burnout while thriving as caregivers? Let's talk all about it with UK-based resilience coach, author, and trainer, Sarah Kuypers, right here on episode 398 of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. This podcast is always about you, your personal and professional development, your career, and the healthcare system in the bigger picture. And I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, entrepreneurship, medicine, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride, and I thank you from the bottom of my podcaster's heart for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. If you'd like to help other people find the show, please consider leaving a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, or any other podcast app you happen to use. And please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Nurse Keith. I appreciate my patrons, my reviewers, and my listeners oh so very much. Please head over to nursekeith.com to find the show notes for this episode in the drop-down menu labeled podcasts. So as I mentioned, we are here with Sarah Kuypers, a UK-based resilience coach, author, and trainer, friend of the pod, and my new friend and colleague. And Sarah, the first question I want to ask you is, what led you to study burnout? and well-being in healthcare professionals what was the the you know the moment in your life that made you think oh my gosh this is something that really needs my attention right now that's an interesting question because it was my own personal experience of burnout after working for many many years as a healthcare professional i started my work as initially as an osteopath and naturopath and then later trained as a hip homeopath. Uh, but the, my real love was hypnotherapy. And for many years, I was fantastically effective at helping my clients master stress and balance their lives. But I was not so good at practicing what I preached because alongside running a practice, I was bringing up three boys as a single mother. So from the ages of four, six, and eight, I was the sole carer and provider for them. And I found it really hard to look after myself as well as my clients and also my family. So eventually I became depleted. I became more and more exhausted. And I started to dread going into work in the morning and felt like I had absolutely nothing left to give. So I came to a stage where my the wake-up call was when I actually had six clients cancel on one day, cancel their appointments. And I thought, wow, that's a very clear message from the universe. It's time to stop. <laughs> so I experienced burnout very much myself, and I had to stop work. I referred all my clients to other practitioners. 
And I was very fortunate that my youngest son was just about to leave home so I could take a three-month sabbatical. And during that sabbatical, I, had, I, I took time off for traveling. I, I spent a month actually crewing on a boat in the Caribbean, a sailing boat. I love to sail. And then I backpacked around Peru. And, and that, was, that gave me plenty of time to stop, relax, refresh, replenish, but also plenty of time for reflection. And I realized I wanted to understand more about what had led me to burnout, the deeper causes of what had led me to burnout. So on my return back to the UK, I decided I'd like to do a master's in research to study stress and burnout in health professionals. So my own personal experience of loving my work, being passionate about it and finding it so fulfilling, and then the scales tipping to where I had absolutely nothing left to give. I wanted to understand more about that. So after this period, and I can relate because I've told my own story of burnout here on the show a number of times, and I'm not going to bore the listeners with it again. However, after this period of introspection and travel, which sounds fascinating in and of itself, you know, crewing a boat in the Caribbean, um, backpacking across Peru. I mean, you had some adventure, launched your children into the world. So you've done, you had a rich life. This prompted you to complete a master's in research to study stress and burnout in health professionals. And I've had a few other people on the show whose either doctoral dissertations or master's theses have centered on this too. Mm-hmm. In your own words and your own experience, why is, is there this phenomenon of so many people saying, oh my gosh, we need to study this and really understand it and not just throw whatever it is at the wall and see if it sticks. We need to really get some meat on this, get to the core of what this is all about. So what was that like to enter into you know, higher education and look at this from the academic perspective? Well, I think I started from a very low base point because I knew absolutely nothing about burnout. In all the different trainings I'd done, I had never understood, I had never learned what those core components of burnout were, were, for example. And so I didn't, I didn't realize until I started to, to understand more about the, the specific components of burnout and how it can impact people that actually I'd experienced I'd experienced far more in terms of burnout symptoms than I actually recognized at the time. So I think that there, this was quite a while, several years ago, and there's much more awareness about burnout nowadays and compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I suppose it was my own personal journey. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. part, it was my own personal journey. And I decided that I didn't want to do a, a, a PhD in my research. I, the professor constantly asked me, invited me to do that. But I was I was really passionate about writing a book to share as much as I could about burnout in order to help other people making the same mistakes as me. So you really wanted to create a body of, well, you wanted to contribute to the body of literature. Yes, yes. With your own perspective. Now, your book is a re- it's really wonderful. It's called The Thriving Giver, 
seven principles for health professionals and caregivers to enhance self-care and prevent burnout. And we also have a, you have a course coming up in early 2023, and we'll talk about that shortly. But these seven principles seem to be obviously core to your approach. Do you want to just kind of lay the groundwork for us in terms of the seven principles? Yes. The first principle, which was kind of unexpected for me, is very much around creating supportive beliefs and behaviors that encourage us to take good care of ourselves. Because that was one of the core elements that I I, I looked at in terms of my burnout research. And it was an unexpected component for me about what can very often precipitate or increase susceptibility to burnout. So what I discovered is that for many people who are drawn to the health and caring professions, they are natural caregivers. And very often they tend to overgive and always look after everybody else and ignore their own needs. And so the first principle that enables us to take good care of ourselves and avoid burnout is creating supportive beliefs and behaviors that enable us to prioritize our own needs. And what I discovered is that, and what I've seen in so many clients that I've worked with is that very often the patterns and the behaviors that we develop as children uh, in our childhood are the very ones that, that very often hold us back from taking good care of ourselves. For example, I was a I was a peacekeeper. I was a people pleaser when I was young as a child. And in wanting to keep everyone happy, it made it much more difficult to set clear boundaries and to, to think about my own needs because I was always trying to keep everyone else happy. And some of those common traits are incredibly occur very often in health and care professionals. I, I do believe that many of us are drawn to the profession as a result of our own childhood experiences. And so that for me is the foundation of creating a, a nurturing and balanced life is to believe that it's okay to take good care of ourselves. It's okay to say no. Uh, self-care is essential for us as caregivers. It's not selfish at all. So the first principle is all around creating those supportive beliefs and behaviors that enable us to really nurture ourselves. And then we can give our best to those we are caring for, to our families uh, and and our patients and our clients. Hmm. Well said, well said. And just as an aside, and this is just between you and me, not a thousand people listening. (laughs) Um, Were you a middle child by any chance? I no, I was actually uh, for for many years I was the youngest of three, oh. and then many years later my uh, my younger sister came along. I see. Okay, so not a classic middle child syndrome. No. Nope. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Wonder how many nurses out there and healthcare providers are middle children who were peacekeepers <laughs> and caregivers. There's probably been a study on that. I, I would imagine so. <laughs> yeah. So the. This second principle is understanding what's happening. And nurses, the whole nursing process is based on assessment. We have to gather data before we can really 
make a nursing diagnosis, put together a treatment plan, then evaluate that plan once we've operationalized it. So is this part super important for us to do a deep dive assessment to understand what's happening with us and you know what this what the telltale signs might be? I think it can be really helpful. I mean, for example, I was um, coaching a nurse a, a, a short while back and she was sharing with me all of the symptoms that she was experiencing and she thought she was just going crazy. But I said, oh, you're experiencing many of the classic signs and symptoms of, of, of burnout. And it kind of made sense to her. And, it, and she felt much more relaxed when she knew, actually, this is kind of part of the syndrome of burnout rather than her something else happening to her. So I think it's we need to recognize the signs and symptoms and the warning signs of those three components of burnout in order to pay more attention to our own needs and to, to recognize them. Hmm. So assessment, nurses can relate to that because that's what they want to do. Yes. Now, principle three then leads us to transforming our thoughts and emotions. Is this then, this is where we begin to take concerted action, right? It is. And it's where we begin to take concerted action in terms of we can put some effective tools and strategies into place. And so I've I structured the book with starting off with principle one, but in practice, what I you know what what many people need is actually to find effective tools to deal with and help them to process the emotional distress, for example, to, to begin with, before they can start to explore the the those uh, underlying beliefs and behavior patterns that are not supportive. It's like they might need some acute relief from the the emotional distress. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and, and you mentioned in that section of the book, expressive writing, gratitude. Which there's lots and lots of uh, information out there about the effects of gratitude when we sure. feel it, when we express it, when we write it or say it. Um, yes, and that and that reaching out for help which is very hard for many nurses. It is not, yes. like you said, we give and give and give, but admitting we need help and then ask, actually allowing ourselves to ask for it and receive it is hard. And you yes. say that it takes courage. It's a sign of courage to ask for help. Did yes. you feel that when you were experiencing burnout, did you have to summon a lot of courage to admit what was happening and then ask for what you needed? Was that your experience personally? I I learned that later. Later. Okay. <laughs> I was not very good at asking for help prior to burnout. Mm-hmm. It was one of the things I've just I I've learned uh, I've learned the value of asking for help and reaching out for help and having a really good support network, mm. which I did not have be- before. Are you good at asking for help now? I certainly am. Yes. Yeah, I am too. I'm pretty good at it too. I think it's a it's a skill. It's kind of like you can actually enhance and increase your emotional intelligence. That's actually mm-hmm. possible. <clears throat> you can learn to ask for help. You can learn skills and strategies. There's lots of things that we can that we can do if we're willing. And your fourth principle is interesting because I've been working on this myself. Mm-hmm. It's calming our anxiety. Yeah. And 
I've been using vagus nerve stimulation, working mm-hmm. with the vagus nerve to do that. Right. But you have some particular tools and techniques. What what are a few of your really top ones that have hold a lot of meaning for you and that you find actually are efficacious for many people? I have used, uh, I, I introduce in the book three different conscious breathing exercises where you're consciously controlling how you're breathing. And I, I personally, and for many of my clients, have found that an incredibly effective way of calming the nervous system down because it's one of the few direct ways that we can actually have an impact on activating that parasympathetic nervous system. So I'm I'm very keen on the conscious breathing exercises, and what I'm uh, I, I've actually um, I prior to the uh, pandemic I used to teach medical students uh, different relaxation strategies, and so each day we'd focus on a different one. And the breathing exercises almost unanimously were the most popular because they're very quick and easy to learn, and many of the students notice almost immediate benefits. Whereas I'm very aware that for other people where there's a chronic stress response going on in the body, it's the uh, the repetition and the regular repetition of those breathing exercises that can create very effective change. But it it requires a little bit of of persistence for some people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one thing I like about your book and your approach is that on the show, I've been... um, talking over time about how a lot of the approaches these days to self-care and wellness focus on, I I guess some of it feels a little superficial, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. take baths, take walks, light candles. I mean, those are all good things. And I always say that, like, I don't want to cast dispersions. However, I, I think, and I've found with the people I've interviewed who, who really seem to have something of substance to offer Mm -hmm. that we have to go deeper. And I think what I appreciate about your work and your book is that you talk about, you know, supportive beliefs and behaviors. So we're doing some like deep psyche work in a sense and that inner transformation that has to happen. And then bringing in all these tools like conscious breathing and other tools that you have here. And you do Mm -hmm. mention in principle seven, we'll talk about what you mentioned there. So I think we do have to go deeper because these last several years, two, three years have been really difficult yes. for everyone around Absolutely. the world. Yes. And it doesn't seem like there could have been a better time for you and your book and your upcoming course that we'll also mm-hmm. talk about for mm-hmm. people to latch on to some of these ideas. Mm-hmm. and. Before we take a break, I just want to ask you, how is your approach to managing stress and cultivating resilience different from other things you've seen out there? What what are some of the things that you think are are really the key that people might not find elsewhere? I, I think that what I call the self-care saboteurs. Mm-hmm. Those patterns and behaviors that holding holds back from taking good care of ourselves are not covered enough in much of the literature. So I do feel that that's an absolute key 
foundational element of my approach, which does not necessarily appear in, 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 in other books or literature. Hmm. And, I, and I also recognize that everybody's an individual. So what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for another. So that's why within each of the principles, I offer a range of choices of what of different strategies that people might like to try, especially in that toolbox of strategies, principles four to, uh, three to seven, mm-hmm. because we are all so different. So what works for one person will definitely not work for somebody else. And we, we need the choice. Right. Right, exactly. So when we come back from the break, I'd like to talk about principles five, six, and seven. Mm -hmm. I'd like to talk about your upcoming course that's launching in early 2023. And then there's a few other extra questions I'd like to ask you. And perhaps you could read us a short passage from the book that might give people a little taste of it in your own words. So does that sound good for the second half? Yes, that that sounds good. I'll look for a passage. So we will be back momentarily with part two of episode 398 of the Nurse Keith Show with Sarah Kuypers coming to us from the UK, resilience coach, author and trainer, and author of The Thriving Giver. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. We're here again with friend of the pod and my new friend and colleague, Sarah Kuypers, coming to us from the UK. And Sarah, prior to the break, we were discussing the first several principles of your seven principles. And number four is assertiveness, stepping into your power, something I've written about and talked about. And this, I believe, has a lot to do with taking control of our lives And I like to say to people, to my clients, you know, your career or your life can happen to you or you can make it happen. And I think you would probably resonate with that. So what is it about principle five and assertiveness that maybe is a little challenging for people like nurses, for instance? (laughs) Well, as I understand it, and I've seen in myself and so many in the health and caring professions is that when our, our priority is to take care of other people, it, be, it can become much more difficult to take good care of us, to set clear boundaries and say no to inappropriate or unnecessary requests. So I think it can be much more difficult for nurses to feel comfortable saying no. To other people because they don't want to upset anyone. That you know, they're interested in keeping people happy and 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 caring for them to the best of their ability. So saying no and cl- setting clear boundaries doesn't come naturally to a lot of nurses, and it's been exactly the same with medical students I've taught and some doctors as well. That saying no can be quite a challenge for many of us. Mm, can't it? Yeah, <laughs> super difficult when we're caregivers. And your book goes over learning to say no, developing skills and assertiveness. And I love this part, becoming the architect of your life, right? Not letting your life just happen to you, making it happen, creating transition rituals and getting support at home 
which mm-hmm. oftentimes we go home from our nursing jobs where we're caregivers or for social workers or whatever. And then we care for everybody else once we get home. Our aging yeah. parents, our disabled spouse, our children, the neighbors, the community, you know, <laughs> nurses do just a lot of things. They volunteer, which is all wonderful. You know, it's wonderful. We need people like that. So I think you have a passage from the book that might relate to this particular principle fairly directly. Yes, I do. Tell us all about it. So as a nurse, Elizabeth worked tirelessly, looking after both patients and staff, but ignoring her own needs. She allowed managers to phone her on days off and worked extra shifts whenever they were short-staffed. With little time to stop, relax and recharge, Elizabeth became frazzled and exhausted. One day when she started having palpitations and chest pains and her legs felt like jelly, she went home and slept for 13 hours straight. Burnout forced her to stop and she took three months off work. In the first coaching session with me, when encouraged to reflect on her life, Elizabeth recognised how for years she had put everyone else first, her ex-husband, her daughters, her patients, or the staff in her ward. Taking too much responsibility for others, she had been the fixer, the doer, the rescuer. She had stood up for everyone else, but not for herself. In the coaching session, when Elizabeth worked through the exercises around supportive beliefs, she encouraged herself to pay attention to her own well-being, speeding up her recovery. She bought herself the puppy she'd always wanted and started growing vegetables and making jewellery. Her wife, Kathy, was delighted that Elizabeth had become more open to receiving and her bubbliness and zest for life had returned. So on returning to work, Elizabeth was able to give from a space of replenishment rather than depletion. Her patients received better care. She now asks other nurses to cover for her when she needs a break and takes time off whenever possible after working extra hours. Having let go of the need to be everything to everyone, she sets a great example of self-care to the team. Wow. Okay. So a nurse who decided to take the bull by the horns, in a sense, learned to take care of herself, learned to have what we call often boundaries, setting boundaries, saying no. I often use the example of things like, okay, I'll work on my 50th wedding anniversary. You know, we'll celebrate the day after, you know, things like that. And there can be somewhat of a martyr syndrome that we can get locked into. And this particular person seems to have overcome that. And that must have felt amazing to her to make that switch. Did she give you any feedback about what it was like to be in a new place of saying no and asking for help? Did she tell you what that was like for her? I think she really appreciated it, but it was surprising for her because she had always considered herself as very assertive because she stood up for everyone else. Mm-hmm. So as soon as she realized actually she needed to do that for herself, it, it, it became very easy. It was just kind of the light switch came on and she re- it was, it, it was uh, quite transformative for her. It was wonderful to see how, how her life changed. That's really wonderful. So she became the architect of her life. Right? Yes. 
Yeah. Absolutely. And she started asking for help and saying no. Mm-hmm. And man, that's tough for so many people, isn't it? Um, it sure is. Nurses and caregivers, especially. Now, principle six gets into some things that I've talked about on the show before, which is replenishing your energy. And you mentioned the word fun, which some people who work really hard and focus on giving, 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 fun isn't really part of their vocabulary. And you may or may not have heard some of my interviews here on the show with Caroline Cardenas. She's a friend of mine who just finished her doctoral dissertation on the science of play out in California. She's a hula hooper and a hoop dance teacher, and she's deeply studied the science of play. Mm-hmm. And people may dismiss play and fun as childish, but her assertion is that we actually need to stay in touch with what we were able to do as children so naturally, which is have fun. And you mentioned music, creativity, the joyfulness of exercise, spending time in nature. So do you find that your clients are open to doing these things, especially if they're the types of people who've never done them before? I think they are. Um, once, once they recognize the importance of it, and I think one element of having fun that can be particularly relevant for nurses is if they're working in an environment with with, with, a, with patients who are traumatized, suffering mm-hmm. or in distress, it's very easy for them to feel that trauma or suffering or distress themselves. So one of the benefits of having fun and getting in touch with those really pleasurable feel-good hormones is that it helps to counteract the distressing elements of 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 the of of the the emotional burden of 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 the work of a nurse. Mm. So I think the fun element it has many multiple benefits as well as replenishing your energy. But accessing those positive feelings and emotions is a is a really healing part that anybody who works with those who are suffering and in distress a lot need to be aware that's that's a benefit mm-hmm. when we can access those feelings ourselves mm-hmm. and my wish my vision is that would there would be more employers organizations facilities healthcare systems that would recognize this make time for yes. it and yes. actually actively encourage it and yeah. Like I've talked about with other guests and in some of my writing that, you know, bringing nurses pizza and giving them tote bags and candy at nurses week or whatever are are fine. Those are lovely gestures, you know, it's nice. People love food. They love to receive gifts. And we always say like, okay, first give them more money, (laughs) but also actively encourage and even have programs that provide opportunities for these sorts of activities. Now that that might seem laughable to a lot of people listening. Do you know of any organizations? You don't have to name them, but have you seen organizations in the UK or elsewhere that actually, you know, promote these sorts of activities? Is anyone out there doing this? I I, I haven't heard of many doing it in hospitals. I I know one uh doctor that I um that I met who used clowning mm-hmm. and he found that really beneficial for himself. And in fact, the skills he learned, he found helpful for certain patients as well. Mm-hmm. So kind of just a different 
way of, of being spontaneous in interacting. So I, I really would love the idea of, uh, of bringing this more hoops or whatever the fun activity is. Laughter yoga can be another one that would mm-hmm. be very easy to implement. Um, so I'm, I'm very supportive of the, of, of the, uh, of, of the idea of bringing that to nurses and doctors, yes. Yeah, I used to be a laughter yoga leader. I studied with oh, Dr. Madan Kataria, who who created it. Um, he lives in in India, so yeah, I understand that. And I have done it as a leader years ago um, mm-hmm. with some healthcare providers back mm-hmm. in the day. So yeah, mm-hmm. some of these things are easy. They don't even need any equipment of any kind. But it's you know when healthcare runs on money and profit and a not-for-profit or non-profit hospital doesn't mean they're not interested in money um mm-hmm. part of that is just a tax status <laughs> um so sometimes there's not that much difference so we see the same dynamics in non-profits as for-profits and that's yes. probably the same in the uk too i'm, I'm sure. sure it's the same and the irony is if only they would spend out on those kind of activities mm-hmm. the the stress levels would go down the burnout rates are likely to go down mm-hmm. people are less likely to make mistakes if they if they find a way of, of handling their stress more effectively i'm sure it'd be very cost effective i'm sure and and if we look at the cost of onboarding and training and orienting a new nurse has been, I've heard it said it can be in terms of person hours, the value of that is can be 40 to $50,000. So if we have a high level of attrition, which we actually do from the nursing profession and other helping professions right now, this would be, you know, we could spend a dollar to save three, probably, if we put that together or or British pound and um, rather than a dollar. So we know this. And then, you know, principle seven goes to another area, which Mm -hmm. many people do talk about, which is nourishing the spirit. And tell us your take on nurturing the spirit. I believe that when we nurture that deeper part of ourselves, it's another way of 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 a kind of keeping off our, our own flame alight. Mm-hmm. And my experience of nurturing the spirit is when I did a lot of meditation myself mm-hmm. and those spiritual practices. What was really interesting is that I was able to um, remain much more compassionate and centered and present with clients who are really troubled and distressed. And I am sure, I have absolutely no doubt that a very regular meditation practice prevented me from burning out many years earlier. Mm, Yes. And some people use meditation, some people use prayer, some people use rosaries. Um, It all depends. Some people use sacred texts. You know, there are a lot of faith-based people out there, you know, all over the world, millions and millions of faith-based people. So, you know, I often say, you know, um, people on this who listen to my show regularly know I'm a big supporter of psychotherapy and counseling. Mm -hmm. However, I also try to always remember to mention 
faith leaders, sometimes people feel safest going to a faith leader who they trust, right? So it all depends what your spiritual bent might be. So if, say I'm a nurse out there, and I think I'm heading towards burnout, like I'm starting to see some of the symptoms, what are some of the very, very first steps I need to take to begin to address it and head things off at the pass? I think the first thing is reach out for help and also have honest conversations with your family or your partner mm-hmm. or your colleagues. Mm-hmm. Because when it's, we often think that other people understand what we're going through, but they don't necessarily. So we might need to spell it out more clearly that actually I'm at the end of my tether. I have nothing left to give. And so I need more support. So honest conversations, I do believe, are are, are a really important part of it. And by developing the awareness of what's happening within yourself, you'll be more aware of what areas of your life need attention. How is the stress or how is the burnout affecting you? If it's primarily emotional, then you might need some, some, some tools to support yourself emotionally. If the strength, stress response in the body is, is, is highly activated, you might need to calm the anxiety, calm the nervous system down. Uh, if you're completely depleted, that, that's an area that needs attention. So everybody who's experiencing burnout might need something different. And there's also an element of you might need to step back for a bit. And that's really, really hard for people to do, especially if finances are tight or they don't have they don't have support from anybody else. But sometimes it's necessary or to cut down your hours or to change something. Or and that's why I have that uh, chapter in my book, Enroll Support at Home, mm-hmm. reaching out for more support at home. Because very often a nurse might do too many tasks at home and not not enroll the support of their family or their children who could do take more of that responsibility from them. Good point. Delegation. Delegation is really, really important. And I do believe that one really important element of, of burnout is that it can be a pa- very powerful catalyst for change. Hmm. It doesn't mean the end, but it needs it, it, it's an indication that something needs attention. I love that. I love that. So speaking of things that nurses can do or other healthcare professionals and caregivers can do mm-hmm. is your book, obviously, The Thriving Giver, and there'll be a link to that so people can purchase it on Amazon and there'll be a link mm-hmm. to your website and all of that. But you have an upcoming online course. This podcast episode is launching on December 2nd, 2022, and you have a course coming up. It's starting with a free webinar, The Three Mm -hmm. Keys to Thriving in a Caring Profession. And that's launching, I believe, on the 25th of January, 2023. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. And is that a live webinar or is that recorded so that people who can't make it on 25th of January can still catch it? That's going to be a live webinar mm-hmm. with um, time for questions at the end, so people mm-hmm. can ask questions. And then there will be um, there will be a recording made of it for those who are unable to attend. There will. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we'll have that 
in the show notes as well. So people can find out how to sign up for the webinar. And I'm sure it'll be on your website if people go to your website. Um, uh, probably in the show notes, if you, if you include the link, that would be helpful. We will. So that people can, can link in directly. It's a quicker way. And now your seven week live online course, The Thriving Giver, which I assume is largely based on the book, The Thriving Giver, is going to launch on the 15th of February, the day after Valentine's Day, 2023. And so that's a live course. So this is something people are going to have to attend in real time, right? Or will this also be recorded and available afterwards? It's 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 going to be a live event with uh, and at the end of each teaching session, there's time for questions and answers and group discussion or group coaching. Uh, but all of the teaching sessions will be recorded. So if if you miss it, you can still listen to the or watch the video or listen to an audio. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming this is a course they'll sign up for and pay a fee for. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we will have a link to that in the show as well, in the show notes, because that's important. And people Mm -hmm. will have quite a bit of time to sign up because we're launching this episode in early December, 2022. And obviously people can get in touch with you if they'd like to work with you or if they'd like to find out about other courses that might be coming up. I'm sure this is just the beginning. And before we go... And there's so much more we could talk about, but I want to ask you four quick questions that I ask all my guests. Are you game Mm -hmm. for four quick questions? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So the first one is, how do you define success personally and or professionally? I I define success as a journey rather than a destination. And for me personally, is doing the best I can with the resources or the time that I, that I have available. And I think that's really important for a lot of the nurses, particularly in the UK, where mm-hmm. it's very challenging situations, a lot of shortages of staff, uh, un- unbelievable pressure they're working under. So to see themselves as successful when they're doing the best they can with the resources available is really important. Excellent. Yes. Okay. The second question is, could you name, or if you don't want to name them, just describe one person who's inspired you in the course of your life. They could be living or dead. They could be famous or just someone who you knew who none of us would ever have heard of, but who meant a lot to you. Yeah. The first person who comes to mind is a really good friend of mine who's no longer with us, but she was a psychotherapist. And she worked a lot for the social services uh, and working with very uh, disturbed families and and individuals. And she was the perfect example of a thriving giver. She Mm. was able, she made absolutely sure that she took really good care of herself with mindfulness, with exercise, with healthy eating, with fun and pleasure and joy in her life. And, And as a result of that, she was able to give unconditional love compassion to so many people through her work and her and and her friends and family and so for me she was a wonderful role model of a thriving giver hmm. was that carol hart yes that was carol hart i yeah. dedicated the book to her yeah you dedicated the book to her as soon as you started describing her i was like i know i've read that <laughs> so <laughs> i just looked at your book and found it um, that's lovely 
Now, is there a book or a movie? It doesn't have to be an absolute favorite. That's had a major impact on the way you think or the way you live your life. Oh, there's there's so many books, but the the one that comes to mind is one I've just been reading really recently. Uh, the Mindful Self Compassion Workbook, hmm. and I am really I, I found it very inspiring as a way of, and and a kind of a different way of thinking about self compassion and compassion for ourselves, and being allowing ourselves to feel and experience whatever the feelings or emotions we're experiencing in that moment. Hmm. Uh, and the book also has different audios that, 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 that you can listen to. So I have found that a very powerful tool that I, I do believe that many people might benefit from. Tell us the name of that again. It's the Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook. Hmm. Sounds lovely. I, I have Kristen to pick that Neff. up. The Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook. I think I need to pick that one up. And thank yes. you so much. That's a good one. I should probably at some point put together a list of all the books and films that my guests have recommended in this segment of the show, because I think it would create this little library that yeah. would be really fascinating. Um, I'm going to try to remember to do that at some point. Okay. Last but not least, what's a piece of advice you would give 18-year-old Sarah right now in this very moment, whether you think she'd listen or not. Trust yourself and know that it's okay if you don't keep everybody happy. That was such an important lesson for me when I, I was younger. Hmm. Uh, and it's okay to be true to yourself and follow your heart. Very nice. I bet she'd listen. I hope so anyway. <laughs> so if people want to find you, they can go to the show notes and then they can also go to sarahkuypers.com and it's S-A-R-A-H-K-U-I-P-E-R-S.com. So if that's hard for you to spell, just head over to the show notes. You can also go to facebook.com forward slash the thriving giver and instagram.com forward slash the thriving giver. And you're also on LinkedIn. So people can find you there and it'll all be in the show notes so that people can find you. And I can't thank you enough, Sarah, for reaching out to me from the UK and asking if you could come on the show and talk to us and for sending me a copy of the book. I appreciate that so much. And it's really been lovely. And I hope people who are listening will take advantage of the book, the free webinar, and also the seven-week course that's coming up in February of 2023. So thank you so, so very much. Thank you, Keith. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Nurse Keith Show. The show notes will be over at nursekeith.com where you can learn all about Sarah Kuypers, her book, her webinar, and her upcoming seven-week course, The Thriving Giver. I hope you feel uplifted, empowered, inspired from this episode. So take some of these actions, take a little bit of interest in the things that Sarah has shared. Maybe you can integrate those into your life right now, today. If you need personalized holistic career coaching to elevate your career, look no further than nursekeith.com. Mention the show and you get a 10% off your first coaching package. And if you become a patron at Patreon, I'd really appreciate it. Even $2 a month would be awesome. I love my patrons and greatly appreciate everyone who contributes every month. We're a proud member of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com where you can find many, 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 many awesome podcasts 
in the healthcare and helping field in science and tech realms that will just blow your mind. So lots of things to listen to at the Health Podcast Network. We're produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting and Mark Cappy Spiesen is our stalwart social media ringmaster. Before we say goodbye, I'll leave you with this quote by poet and writer David White. One of the keys to any possible happiness in work must be the little self-knowledge it takes to know what we desire in life, how we are made, and how we belong to the rest of the world, which I think works very well with your work, Sarah. It fits perfectly. Wonderful quote. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. And my friend and colleague, Sarah Kuyper, saying arrivederci from... Hampshire in the UK. Hampshire in the UK. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you to everyone for listening. And we will catch you on the proverbial flip side.